Hey. My name is Kim. And I am Steve. And you are listening to this week's edition of An Hour of Your Life. It is March 14, 3.14. So I celebrated with a pizza pie from a local watering hole by the name of Kramer's. If you are in the Dayton area, they have some of the best pizza in Dayton. Did you it's celebrate? a completely different crust. I like it. It is. Did yeah. you did you celebrate Pie Day today? I had a couple pieces because we had the pizza last night, so these were yeah. leftovers. So yeah, I yeah. had a couple pieces. Well, I hope wherever you are that you were able to celebrate Pie Day, and if you weren't, then you just, it's not too late. Go, I have a friend go who get can, yourself some pie. Who is very proud that he can recite pie to five hundred places, and then he says, um, um, "You want to hear it?" And he says, it's really easy. You just remember it in groups of five. So (laughs) this same friend allegedly has also memorized Charles Manson's social security number in case he ever is asked to give his social security number by an entity that he does not feel needs it. And then he gives Charles Manson's instead. Okay. We will not mention names of who this person is. This is one of my favorite friends of yours, though. I love him to death. All right. Anyway. Hey, before we get started, let's welcome our new followers. Little Red and JT Bro. So JT Bro. JT Bro. So now you know what you got to do. Go tell five people about an hour of your life. And thanks for listening to us. Yeah. Welcome to the family. The weather is getting better. I think spring is almost sprung. You know what? It's not unusual for us to have that late April yeah, there's, six inches coming Well, in. I don't know if there's going to be that much. We'll get one more. We might get one more snow here. Now in a you don't weeks. know. I do know. There's no way possible you could know. I do know. Okay. Me and Phil were like this. Yeah, okay. Tony over there, he tells me, and Buckeye Chuck too. We're all we're all good buddies. Um, but I mean, spring means big swings in the weather, but we're used to it. Yeah. We have. Uh, it. I remember when I was a kid, it used to be. Um, you know, it used to snow. Like we'd get our first snows in October. And then we were done by March. March was spring. But now, um, you know, I'm a fully, I fully believe in climate change. I don't know how much of it is man-made, how much of it is natural. But it, the fact that we are getting, you know, it doesn't snow for the first time until November, December. And it snows in April. Like everything seems to have shifted. Our weather has shifted about a month. Yeah, there's something definitely up. To me, yeah. To yeah. me, tells me that there is some sort of climate change out there. Um, and, and it's been, I would say, it's been a fairly recent over the last 10 years. Because like I was just saying, it seems like we always get that April snow where we get maybe four, five, six inches sometimes. It doesn't last long. No, it, it snows melts, and then but it's it, gone it like snows, the next day. Yeah. But yeah, so I, I am a little nostalgic for the days when I was a kid and the old way of doing things. But I guess one day when it shifts back, then, you know, kids now will be nostalgic for the April snows. And, but, uh, oh, we, you know, we're, we're in the forties now and some days are warmer and some days are colder. You know, guess what I saw at the grocery store? What? I saw men. Okay. It's in the forties. Right. But I saw guys in short pants and t-shirts walking around the the grocery store in the parking lot mm. and women are already wearing their flip-flops Ugh, not yeah, a fan. so they're pushing the season yeah but they're mm. comfortable so you know That's what right. i do you friends. i really don't care do what you want to do um it, this also means severe storm season for us and uh primarily we're talking about tornadoes and hailstorms. um you know all parts of the united states have some sort of potentially deadly natural phenomena and here in ohio it's tornadoes and floods even though we are on the edge of the new madrid seismic zone we do get little baby earthquakes every have once you ever in a felt while. one i have yeah i have yeah. too but the ones i felt here in ohio are nothing like oh, the ones no. i felt in california yeah it's not like a cal it's yeah. like a little baby one yeah um i think there was one there has been one that was strong enough to wake me up but it wasn't strong enough to do like any damage or even I mean, you hear about anything. It's not chimneys crumbling and stuff like that when it happens. I Dishes mean, not, rattling here. Yeah. Oh, I've never heard one that oh, yeah. that bad. Um, we do get hurricanes sometimes here in Ohio. Hurricane Ike came through and hit us. By the time it got to us, it was still a Category One hurricane, 
So, I mean, it's not like anything that hits Florida or the East Coast. Yeah, it's not like we get hurricane season. No, no, but it was, but But we 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 did have a level one hurricane come through and it did tear up a good chunk with the winds and stuff. Um, I mean, like 90% of Ohio was affected by this. We went seven or eight, it was over a week with no electric. That was a, I was actually, I I don't want to say it was a good time because it, it wasn't, but it, it was one of those um, things that is what I consider a quintessential Dayton event that we had a ton of meat. We'd had a big party for something and we had a ton of meat in our freezer. And so you just brought out the grill and we just grilled meat and like delivered it to the linemen in the neighborhood and like called the radio yeah, we station just, we and said, hey, if anybody wants anything. And- then we just gave away a whole bunch of sandwiches and stuff. And yeah, we put a sign out in the yard. And as the workers would come by, they would stop and get a sandwich. And before too long, neighbors from back behind us started bringing up food because we lived on the main road. Mm-hmm. They started bringing up their food, and we just kind of kept a grill going 24-7 with us and the neighbors. And yeah. people just kept bringing things, and we fed as many people as we could. I mean, there's no need to let all that food go to waste. Oh, yeah. So it was yeah. fun. Um, my other big memory from that time is the elderly couple across the street from us. I don't even think that they thought about it or had anything, you know, but their power got back on a couple days before ours. And so their porch light was on like it, we couldn't see their lights in their house, but it was just that one porch light. And I could look out and see that porch light and we still had no electricity and it just, irked me but it was okay because they were they were very old they, they were, were in, in their, their 90s late 80s or early 90s yeah, yeah so i'm glad that they had their power back but it was just that and i don't i'm sure they didn't even think about it but it was just they were lovely people but it was just that one porch light just burning anyway i only bring this up because we want you to be aware pay attention to the weather um it's also a precursor to an upcoming episode and if you're local you might be able to guess what that is but yeah, but we'll we'll get to it. We'll now, get to this that made in a couple in, of weeks. This made national news when on it our happened. April third episode. That's the biggest hint that you could possibly get. Yeah. Well, it's time to get into this week's episode. Last year we did talk. We had an episode on St. Patrick's Day, and this year we were talking about episodes. And then at the last minute, mm-hmm. we said it's it's St. Patrick's Day, so we we can put that episode off to some time. And let's talk, do something about Ireland. So we came up with this idea of let's start telling or let's tell some Irish ghost stories. I am never going to say no to ghost stories. Now, I know not everybody's into ghost stories, but they do play an important part of culture and folklore, folklore and, you know, how different regions and stuff happen like this. Plus, you know what? They can just be a lot of fun. Yeah, if you've listened for more than five minutes, you know that I love folklore and I love spooky things. And so this is, when Steve said, let's do a ghost stories episode, I said, absolutely. I am 100% on board. So at this point, what we'd like you to do is hit your pause button, go grab a Guinness if you're so inclined, or go to the fridge. Or a harps or a Jameson or whatever if you're so inclined. Or go to your fridge and get a non-alcoholic beverage, sit back, enjoy the episode, and let your imagination run. And you know what? Just have fun with this episode. Yeah, absolutely. Now, Irish ghost stories are deeply intertwined with ancient Irish culture and mythology. And many tales go back to the pre-Christian days. They're sometimes retold in more modern forms, which is typical for a lot of ghost stories. Um, The old people of Ireland had a great belief in the afterlife and in places where the world grew thin or in places where spirits could more easily pass from one realm to the next. So, so sort of like a portal. Indeed. And lots of strange apparitions and phantoms have accosted many a weary traveler on a dark country road. And then the stories that those travelers pass on to others as they went told of warnings and danger and mystery. And over time, those have become legend in a part of culture. And the most ancient ghost stories are sometimes the most disturbing. So as we tell you these spooky tales, think about all of those who came before and listen to them being told 
while you are drinking your tasty beverage, you may want to turn out the lights, maybe light some candles for effect. Uh, Maybe these stories in in past history were being told in a drafty cottage or in a great hall, or maybe as people gathered around a peat fire in a Cranog back when the world was younger and ghost stories were the portal to those passed on to the other side to meet their maker. Mm. After the harvest was gathered and put up and then there was time for spirit-filled stories and bonfires were lit to protect villages from their unwelcome attention from the spirits in the underworld. I think we should turn the lights out in the studio right now. Stones sometimes were cast into the fire and then the ashes were used for protection. And then the ancient banshees or the fairy mounds opened and they allowed supernatural creatures to roam free. And the holes they came up out of were blue lit and shimmering. And long dead ancestors would join the feasting in places were set for them. And although some stories tell tales that the less welcome revenants could be held at bay by iron, salt, or turning your clothes inside out, some Mm. of these stories, some of these ancestors were welcome at the fireside. Mm. Well, there's nothing quite like a good ghost story to chill the blood on a dark evening around the fire. And few stories are quite as chilling as those that can be found on the Emerald Isle or Ireland. So dim the lights or better yet, go build yourself a campfire outside. Maybe just sit around that comfortable hearth in your fireplace. Grab that beverage that we told you earlier to get because now's the time. Are you ready for some ghost stories? I am so ready. All right. right. So our first story uh, is the, uh, the story of the tyrant giantess. And the tale of Kilimagora and County Cork is, for the most part, a peaceful and quiet one. How tall are you, Kim? <laughs> Not this tall. Uh, it lay under the power of the Fitzgeralds for many years, and they were, for the most part, just and fair rulers. So good were they that nobody had anything bad to say about them, and tales were told of their heroism and generosity. But as they say, it is the exception that makes the rule, and so it was with the giantess Eileen Fitzgerald. Rumors abounded that her father was a banshee or one of the fairy folk. From the moment she was came into the world, she grew to a great size at an impressive rate. She was said to be of the Great Woods, or Kylemore, in part for her strange size and in part for her wild ways. She was fierce and restless, rousing up the warriors of her clan to raid nearby farms and settlements. And any who stood in her way were slain with her great hammer. The heads knocked clean off them to sail over the trees. And then she would carry away anything of theirs that wasn't nailed down. She put her mark on the land too. From the high fortress of her family, she ruled with an iron fist. And it was in that fort that she buried all of her ill-gotten gains. And yet, for all of her strength and ferocity, she didn't live very long. Whether she passed in the natural way or died at the hand of a vengeful warrior or a jealous lover isn't told. But when the nights are dark and the wind blows from the west, the people of Kilmagora make sure to close their windows and doors up extra tight, for her ghost has been seen wandering over the lands that she once plundered. As evil as she was in life, she was no less evil in death. Although she was condemned to wear only a thin cloth dress and appear as an old woman with no strength in her, shivering in the cold night air. Her feet were those of a sheep with hooves at the end of her legs. And if you should happen across her and ask why she was dressed in that way, she may very well answer. For my cruelty in oppressing the poor, for forcing them to perform weighty tasks, and for depriving a poor widow of the milk of her five sheep, my feet are deformed, and I am thus doomed to perpetual motion until the day of judgment. But when you ask the local people what they fear about her wretched shade doomed to wander forevermore, they will just fall silent and look away, ashen-faced. Ooh. Okay, that's a good ghost story. I like that one. Yeah, but like... I like it because it's got a tall girl. Yeah. (laughs) So a lot of stories and folklore come for a reason. They were told Mm -hmm. out of a purpose. So what what do you think was the purpose of this particular story? I don't... I think it just... um, I don't know. I think it might explain different things. Like it's... It might just... um, If you're mean and bad, bad things are going to happen to you? It could be. Yeah. Um, so like maybe meant to 
kids, be good, or you're going to turn into this old cloven hoof. Or she might get you. I don't think that she'll, she doesn't seem to get you, but yeah. um, I mean, just her answer and why is she, you know, if you ask her, she'll say uh, Uh she was punished for oppressing the poor. Um, She deprived a poor widow of the milk of her sheep uh, and she's not allowed to rest. So yeah, I think it's basically just a, a cautionary tale against idleness and cruelty. Maybe. But you know what? I don't know if sheep are cloven hoofed. They are. They have a two toes. I mean, I, I guess it's toe. Like it's toe. Yeah. Hoof. Toe. Two, uh, it's a hoof. Split. Yeah. It's a hoof with a cleft in the middle, give, creating two essentially toes. So, yeah. All right. So <laughs> I didn't know you knew so much about farm animals. I just listen. Okay. I know a lot of useless things about a lot of things. That's why we are waiting for trivia to oh, come back. I'm so excited. Sarah I can't G, wait. if you're listening, I we got to build a new team. Wait. Also, that is, so we're getting way off here, but uh, one of the things that we do at work is we have a an envelope that we put um, receipts in, and every day our new thing is to write an unusual fact every day. Okay. So, I, th- I think here we... We're breaking the mood, aren't we? Yeah. One of our favorite (laughs) places to go is Fifth Street Brew Pub on Tuesday nights during non-COVID season because Sarah G has trivia. Absolutely. And it's very competitive. And we had a team. Now, I am very proud to say our team did extremely well. And we we walked out of there every time with something. We did. We did. Every single time. If you are playing trivia, a fun fact that you might want to know is that most Muppets are left-handed because most Muppeteers are right-handed, and so they use their right hand to control the Muppet's head and their left hand to control the Muppet's arm. And this is why we win at <laughs> trivia, because we have Kim for all this stuff. All right, so okay. getting back into the spooky territory. <laughs> are you ready for our next story? I am, I am ready. Let's okay. go. Well, let's tell the tale of the, the faceless lady. Ooh. There was once a famous beauty who lived in Belvelle Castle overlooking Cork Harbor in the late 17th century. Word of her comeliness spread far and wide across the land. It reached the ears of local lord by the name of Clon Rockenby, and he declared he must have her for his wife. Her name was Lady Margaret Hodnett, and although she was quite fond of her own reflection in the mirror, she didn't find Lord Rockenby exactly to her taste and her interest at all. No matter how many times Rockenby asked her to marry him, she refused him every single time. Ouch. Yeah. So after the last humiliating refusal, Rockenby decided to take her for his wife, whether she felt so inclined or not, and he roused up his armies and went to war. He reckoned the Hodnets pampered so long in the lap of luxury would just roll over and fold over easy just with his show of arms. So he thought he's just going to storm her castle and take her for his bride. Hmm. Well, he couldn't have been more mistaken for they held out in their castle for a whole year before they were forced to open the gates to him. But once he entered the castle, he went directly to the bride to be. He was appalled to see how thin and shriveled she'd become out of starvation. So his plan didn't quite work, I guess, but he lust his lust thwarted in a rage <gasps> He smashed her favorite mirror just before her brother ran through him with a sword. What a jerk. Yeah. Not the brother. No. After this, (laughs) Margaret went slowly insane and she went from mirror to mirror to see if her luscious beauty had returned, but it never did. She lived out her days, never leaving the castle. Local, Local legend has it, her ghost still roams the halls and the gardens of the castle and sometimes wearing a white veil, sometimes with no face at all her shade sometimes rubs a place her shade being her shadow sometimes rubs a place on the wall as if touching a mirror and that spot on the stone is smooth oh now that's a ghost story right there what do you think the moral of this story is i think i don't i feel like there are twofold here first of all don't be that vain that your ghost is so like worried about your appearance in the afterlife that you're literally rubbing the stones raw because you want to see yourself. Do you think the story is about her or the, I th- see? I the big part of this story I got is that his plans to get his bride and they held out 
And he basically starved her to get to where she wasn't appealing to him anymore. I think that's the other side of it. Oh, it's a two-parter. I think it's twofold. Yeah, I think one is don't be vain or you're going to starve your family and lose all of the things that are valuable to you, whether it be beauty or whatever else, um, you know, or, or your family. Like he died, her brother died as a result of this. But I also think that, yes, don't, don't necessarily uh, judge people based on preconceived notions. You know, the, the guy, what was his name? The guy, uh, Rockaby? Rockaby. Clon Rockenby, by the way, sounds like the most, like, I don't know, soap opera, <laughs> soap opera name ever, like Dirk Diggler. I don't know. It just, um, but Clon Rockaby, he underestimated her family because he thought that, oh, well, they're rich. They'll just fold before me. But no, nope, that didn't happen. And he didn't care to get to know at all his, the lady that he was quote unquote in love with. He just thought she was pretty. And if he had gotten to actually know her, maybe. <laughs> he wouldn't have given up because she. Yeah, that's, that's true. But things were different. Maybe it didn't matter back in the day. I, I mean, know. we've watched enough of these uh, royal movies from back in the day. It didn't matter. The so, marriages were arranged. Well, yeah, but no, this wasn't. No. I mean, he only, he wanted her for her beauty. I also will say this about that concept. I am firmly believe that you can be the mo you can be a solid 12 out of 10 in the looks department but if you have an ugly personality or you're just a terrible person it automatically makes you less physically attractive but conversely you could be very plain but if you are like a super sweet person or really likable and fun to be around you i i believe that it tends to make you more attractive like I think that people become more attractive that way. Like physically. Lucky me. You, you are fortunate enough that you got both. You are. Let's roll on. Let's roll on Kim. You're handsome and nice. Most of the time. (sighs) Most of the time. Okay. So this next story (laughs) you're about to tell is the scariest one to me. It is the story of the spirit of Ennis Ennis Corthy, sorry, Ennis Corthy. The Redmonds were a comfortably well-off family living in Court Street in Ennis Corthy back in 1910. They supplemented their income by renting out rooms of their house to lodgers. However, their quiet life was soon to be interrupted by a sinister guest that they hadn't invited in. In July of the year of 1910, they had rented out the room above the kitchen to three tradesmen who were working nearby. One of the men, a carpenter by the name of John Randall, was laying asleep on the 7th when all of a sudden the bedclothes were pulled clean off of him. Uh So like the sheets, blankets. He half woke, believing his roommates were messing with him and called out for them to stop. Stop. The other two denied responsibility. I didn't do it. And they lit a match to see what had happened, finding the sheets in a heap near to the window. They gathered up the blankets and went back to sleep, but they wouldn't get very much rest that night. Because before too long, a loud tapping was heard, getting faster and faster until just when it was at its fastest, the bed of the other two men slid suddenly across the floor. Whoa. Now frightened, they lit a lamp, looking for some natural explanation, but none was to be found. So what do you think they did? Um, what would I don't you know. do? What would you I would do? Probably leave the room. If your bed started randomly sliding across the floor. I would get up and <laughs> Go find another place to stay that night. They called the landlord out of his own bed and they were told to move the bed back to where it had been. (laughs) He didn't care. Such (laughs) compassion from this landlord. It happens all the time. (laughs) Just put it back. Lay off the Guinness and you'll be fine. (laughs) Poor John was so scared he refused to sleep in the one bed by himself. So the three of them shared the large bed. (laughs) And no sooner had they closed their eyes, which I don't think that would even begin to happen. (laughs) The bed once again moved to the middle of the room. I'm out of there. Yeah, I right? I wouldn't have stuck around this long. They stayed awake the rest of the night hearing footsteps throughout the house. And these peculiar goings-on persisted the rest of their stay, which makes me think, like, how long? Well, I wait, can we'll just get hear to- it. Murphy, no more Guinness. Okay, <laughs> no, no listen, more. 
This was this first happened on the 7th of July. Okay. On one occasion, a chair began to rock back and forth by itself, and on another, phantom hands lifted one of them up into the air. Hmm. On July the 29th. Very specific date here. July the 29th. They started on July the 7th. Why are they still there? The bed was flipped entirely on its side, sending the men down in a heap onto the floor, and they swore afterwards that it made no sound as it righted itself. Well, of course, the local press got wind of these events and decided to go see for themselves, so the Guardian sent a man called, of course, Murphy, Murphy. <laughs> to, to have a look with the permission of the Redmonds. Another fellow by the name of Devereaux joined him, and they set up between the two beds in the room. Around midnight, they heard the tapping and thought it was rats chewing... But their skepticism soon... Ooh, don't do that. That hurts my ears. Their skepticism soon vanished with Randall's bedclothes under the bed. So once again, this ghost likes to steal your sheets. Having checked for wires or other (laughs) trickery, they were at a loss to explain how this had happened. Eventually, Randall himself was wrapped in his sheets and dragged from his bed before the horrified eyes of the reporters and the tradesmen left the next morning. So it only took them like a month to leave. By the end of it, John Randall was a shadow of the man he had been. And to this day, no explanation has been found. Okay. I think I have the explanation you, for you this. Think, you think yeah. Jameson is the answer, Yeah, huh? the Jameson and the Guinness. I think these guys were out uh, drinking a little too much every night and they came home and this stuff happened. But, but this, about- is a, this is more like a traditional ghost story. Yeah. I mean, the thing that gets me. I is, think it was the Guinness, though. The thing that gets me is the names. Like, these people have names. This is relatively, uh, quote-unquote, recent. I mean, 1910, it's in the 20th century. And Devereaux is not really a German. I mean, that's a that's a French name. It's not an Irish name. So I, I believe that, you know, people thought that these things, whether they actually happened or not, like, there's people, you know, people that they can go back to. I don't okay, know. This sounds like one of the stories we see, like, on Ghost Hunters International yeah, or something like that. Yeah, that's true. So what are they? What are those things called, the EVPs? Or oh, the, yeah, the electric, that's the voice ones, like, yeah. the record ghost voices. Yeah, I think, I think they should go investigate this house and see what's they should. going on. I guarantee there will be an EVP that says, get out, or something yeah. along those lines. I really want to know if there is a ghost. I want to know what he, why he's a problem with sheets. Well, why, why does it have to be a he? It could be a she ghost. It could be a she ghost. It could be. It could. It could very. I apologize, ghost. If you are a she ghost, it just doesn't seem like a she ghost thing to do. I don't know. I don't she know ghost, that many ghosts. No, she ghosts. If you look at ghost stories in general, the the like malevolent ones are male ghosts. And she ghosts, lady oh, ghosts. Mean? Yeah, like the lady ghosts just kind of hmm. wander around sad. Huh. And the, the go, male ghosts are the ones that are pulling your sheets off and dumping you out of bed in the middle go, of the night. Go, go figure. <clears throat> okay, so. well, okay, so our next story is a tale of Black Alice. Mm. Yeah. So this is a female. So we'll see if this kind of fits with All your right. theory right let's, there. Let's see. So it was in the year 1280 in Keitler House in Kilkenny. That dame, Alice Keitler, was born to a family of good prospects, a family of Flemish merchants who had settled in Kilkenny. When she grew up, Alice married William Outlaw, who was a wealthy merchant and moneylender by whom she had a son. Well, he passed. Then she married her second husband, Adam LeBlanc of Calon, another rich moneylender. When he died, Alice married her third husband, Richard de Valle, a wealthy landover. And soon after that, I guess he bit the bullet too, because soon after that, she married Sir John Lepore, who also died. So I see a pattern here. Yeah. I, <laughs> yeah. I, I, I'm, I'm, I see. She's not marrying uh, poor guys. No. <laughs> she became known as Kilkenny's Merry Widow, and her good fortune seemed to have no end, whatever, after those of her spouses. I mean, okay. So in her defense, at least she's a Merry Widow and not a Sad Widow. Nobody wants a sad widow hanging around. Let's get to the end of the story here. Okay. All right. After this fourth sudden and mysterious death, where her former husband was found with his nails torn out, his body hair fallen off, not to mention his will had been changed to benefit Alice and her son. Duh. The children of her husband's, her former husband's, got together and accused her of witchcraft. I guess that was a good- I mean, it was 1280- 
1280, if you looked at somebody the wrong way, you were a witch. Yeah, I mean, these were the charges of the levy back in that time period, I guess. Anyway, seven charges were brought against her and her servants. First charge, that she denied Christ and the teachings of the church. Pretty serious in the 1200s. That she had intercourse with a demon called the Son of Art in exchange for sorceress powers. Pretty serious, no matter what the time period. That they cut up living animals and scattered the pieces in unhallowed places as offerings to pagan gods. Mm. Yeah. That they stole the keys to a church and held meetings there at night. I guess pagan meetings and things. Um, That they made love potions and poisons from vile ingredients in the skull of a hanged robber. I wonder what they call vile ingredients. I wonder what that means. Nasty stuff. Well, obviously. Yeah. And that Alice had used these potions to make her husbands give their possessions to her and her son and finally to kill them. They went to the Bishop of Vosory with their complaint and he convened a court to hear them and conduct a trial. The Bishop was a Franciscan, Richard D. Letterer, and beside him stood five knights and several noblemen. And yet for all of his authority, the bishop not only failed to get Alice to appear before him, but he wound up in prison himself. We don't know how, but he ended up in prison hmm. through her sorcery, probably. But she eventually escaped to England, never to be heard of again. And that's why she's the Mary Widow. But her son stood trial and was convicted of witchcraft, being ordered to attend Mass thrice a day, three times a day, and give his considerable wealth to the poor at the behest of his powerful friends. He didn't manage to maintain the penance, however, and ended up in prison again until he prostrated himself before the bishop and was ordered to cover the roof of the local cathedral with lead. I wonder why. That seems like an odd... I mean, do you know anything about lead? That Like what? Like as a building material? I guess. I, I don't know, but that's what they ordered him to do. Huh. He did secede in his, this penance, but the roof of the cathedral collapsed under the weight of the lead a few years later. Hmm. Less fortunate was her maid, Petronella, who was tortured, whipped, and finally burned at the stake. Mm. And yet, before she died, legend has it that Petronella swore to take her revenge on the crowds of goppers. And then she was consigned to the flames. Ooh. Ever since then, strange goings-on have been recorded in and around Kilkenny. Tales of ghostly apparitions have multiplied, especially around the time of 1763 when a great flood came to Kilkenny and hundreds of people stood on the nearby John's Bridge watching the debris flow by underneath the the bridge. But when most of them got to the view of a cabin floating by, the bridge collapsed, killing 16. And still to this day, people speak of ghostly figures leaning over the side of the bridge watching the water. So there's like a ghost story within a ghost story here. Yeah. So what about this story? Any truth? I, I mean, I didn't research. Was there any yeah, truth that this cathedral know. collapsed? And I don't why, know. Why? That's what was the weird thing about this story is like the lead roof is I, I kind of want to do some research and educate myself on that because that seems kind of weird to me. But also, I think in this story, what stands out to me is, well, there's a couple things. First of all, that the the widow... Um, was totally fine to just bail on her son and just like, eh, you know, he can take the blame. Totally fine. And never to be seen again right. or heard of again. Right. Uh, so like she totally threw her kid under the bus. Like she did her husband's? Uh, yeah, a little bit. Um, but also I think it's interesting that her maid, Petronella, swore to take her revenge on the crowd and not the widow. Because well, it was, was the loyal. widow. It was the widow who put her in that position of being burned at the stake. Well, she was very loyal to her. I guess so. I don't know. That is very interesting. And also, just a couple of other like historical side note. In 1280, I'm very curious what, uh, as far as paganism in Ireland was Druids concerned. Yeah, like what paganism versus Christianity, where where things were. Well, they had the um, bishop. Yeah, but, you know, so I'm, but I'm, I'm wondering, so where do you tell the story? Is this one you tell to the kids, like sitting around the campfire? Or I don't know. Who, who's the audience of this story? I don't know. Um, I think, 
What do you think? I Kim? think this is just a. <laughs> I think this is just a fun story to tell anybody. And you know, I, if if you're going with the idea that folklorish ghost stories have a moral, I suppose the moral of this story would be to not be greedy. Um, but uh, but I she mean, got do away they have with morals, it. So. Or is it just lessons learned? Um, I mean, I think it depends on the the story. I think yeah. some they're talking points. The oldest, as the news people would yeah, say today. I, I think the oldest stories, like these, like the ancient, really ancient stories, like this, typically have uh, are morality tales as opposed to morality. That's yeah, the word we're probably looking for. As yeah. opposed to more modern ghost stories, which are just a ghost. scare factor. Yeah. So I would say that this one is, uh, I don't know, because it seems like it would be a morality tale, but she got away with it. So I I don't know that it's a very effective well, I mean, morality tale. Never to be heard of again. Maybe she disappeared. Or maybe she left and started life over as an under an assumed name and continued killing husbands and getting richer. Maybe so. I so this one, if it is a morality tale, it's a little bit I don't know, it's a little bit shaky for more for me. Like I don't, I don't know that I buy the morality. Well, you're of this used one. to modern plots. Yeah, I guess. And you're very critical of movies anyway. I, I am. Yes, that is that is don't, the truth. Don't look too deep into this. You one. asked. What do you think? And I'm telling you what I think. Okay. All right. Our next story is called The Ghost Below. Woo. Now, they do say Irish people are fond of a good chat. The gift of the gab, as it's called. But it seems even Irish ghosts are likewise inclined as the strange tale of Corny the Phantom reveals. Okay, so I got my DNA test back. There's a lot of Irish flowing through my blood. I so it's that it. gift of gab. Yes, That's, I believe it. I have some Irish too. From County Cork, actually, I believe is where my family was from. Also, I do want to preface this by telling you guys this is my favorite of the ghost stories that we're going to cover today. So many years ago, a young family moved into a fine residence in the heart of Dublin City. Well-to-do and respectable, they made their new home into a warm and welcoming place and looked forward to raising their family beneath its solid old rafters. Then one day, the father of the house sprained his leg when he was at work and had to use a cane to get around for a while, making a solid thumping noise on the wooden floor as he walked. After they retired for the night, he left the cane at the foot of the bed, but their sleep wasn't to last long for they were awoken in the dark of the small hours by that very same thump, thump noise. His wife made to light a match by whose light she spotted that the cane had gone missing. So they went out to find it at the top of the stairs. The servants of the house denied all knowledge of the incident. I would too. Peering startled and pale faced from their rooms. Disturbed, but tired nonetheless, Everyone went to bed, and the next morning, when they sat down to breakfast, what should happen? But a great, booming voice echoed from the cellar of the kitchen, as though from an empty barrel. A fine morning to you, it spoke. Close the door above, for it is cold where I am. Well... Terror and bedlam ensued, and after some discussion, <laughs> after some discussion, one of the servants went to investigate the cellar, but found nothing unusual. Nonetheless, after that, the ghost, who made himself known as Corny, but often denied that to be his name, made a fair nuisance of himself. Crockery was hidden and cutlery went missing. The household complained of being pinched as they went about their daily business. The family's relatives from the countryside who had small farms used to bring presents of vegetables, and these were often hung up by Corny like Christmas decorations around the kitchen. There was one particular cupboard in the kitchen he would not allow anything into, and anything put in was promptly thrown out again, such as a pot with pickled meat weighted down for fear of his interference. <laughs> pickled pig's feet. You he's can still big, buy them at Kroger. He's not a fan of cr pickled meat, it seems. So Corny seems to have a deep dislike for being locked up anywhere and would bend locks and keys around the house. He would interrupt any conversation he pleased as long as it took place in the kitchen. I feel like we're friends. Corny and I'm I'm just I'm just going to call it that I'm probably descended from Corny. He would interrupt as long as it took place in the kitchen, save only that of people who didn't fear him. One uncle of the family who he mocked as four eyes in his absence took a poker and hammered at the cellar door, demanding Corny come out and talk, but only silence followed. The next day, though, the poker was found snapped in two on the kitchen floor. 
He'd also remain silent in the presence of priests as the notoriety of the house spread a clergyman dropped by for a visit, but no sight or sound of Corny was to be found. After he left, the servants, very daring, shouted down into the cellar, Corny, why didn't you speak? And he replied, I could not speak while that good man was in the house. And the servants sometimes used to ask him where he was, and he would reply, the great God would not permit me to tell you. I was a bad man, and I died the death. He would even name the room in the house in which he died. As the presence in the house grew stronger and bolder, it became more difficult for the lady of the house to keep servants at all. Between the constant muttering and the interruptions <laughs> and the malicious practical jokes that were played on them, they would sleep in the kitchen on fold-out beds, but to escape from Corny, they asked that it be moved to the attic. The very first night they went to sleep up there, the door to the clothes press was flung wide and Corny's voice shouted out, Ha ha, you blackguards! This is my house and no place in it is denied to me. And later, one of the servants was... <laughs> I like this part. Later, one of the servants was preparing fish for dinner, but having turned away from the table for a moment, she looked back to find the fish gone missing. And she began to weep for fear she'd be accused of thievery, whereupon the fish flew straight out of the cellar and onto the floor, accompanied by Corny's voice saying, There, you whiner! There's your fish for you." <laughs> I love this ghost. Things began to take a more sinister tone after that. Corny mm. claiming that he'd... Uh, be having visitors on All Hallows Eve and that very night five or six distinct voices were heard next morning all the water in the house was black as ink and not alone that but the bread and the butter in the pantry were streaked with the marks of sooty fingers guests complained that the sheets again a sheet stealing ghost the sheets had been pulled from them and the young man of the house ran about screaming to his parents, claiming he'd seen a naked old man with a curl on his forehead and skin like a clothes horse. At their wits end, the family decided to move, but they found it very hard to sell the lease to anyone for Corny would speak up as soon as any prospective buyers made it as far as the kitchen. <laughs> they asked him if he, if they changed house, would he trouble them? And he replied, no, but if they throw down this house, I will trouble the stones. Eventually, the lady of the house prevailed it upon the entity to settle down, and it appeared to have a soft spot for her, so it agreed. And so they sold and moved on. And as he said to her, I see a lady in black coming up the street to this house, and she will buy it. And then within half an hour, a widow called and purchased the house. Whether or not Corny still resides at the old place is not known, for even its exact address has been lost, save only that it was somewhere near St. Stephen's Green. So should you come across a fine property at a suspiciously low price in that vicinity, be sure to check the coal cellar before you sign anything. Okay, so I kind of got a feeling that if I he, Corny, was love, still haunting, we would still be hearing about this. I don't know. You know what this this reminds me of? I don't know if you're familiar with the story of the Bell Witch. Um, but if if you all listening know the Bell Witch story, um, the she reminds me a lot of Corny. If you're not familiar with the Bell Witch, um, do some research uh, one of these, I don't think that we'll probably ever, we might maybe for spooky October or something. Um, but the bell, Witch was like this, uh, she was, um, I believe she is an American, she's an American, I believe. Uh, and she did all this kind of stuff. Like she would harass people, um, and just was a nuisance more so than like a scary thing. She was just an annoying ghost. Um, and, uh, she haunts bell, Witch cave. Ooh. And Corny reminds me of her. It's I really like him. Of okay. all of our stories, I really like Corny. I I relate to Corny. Okay, so that one I don't even consider that one scary or anything mm -hmm. like that. So anyway, let's move on to the haunting of Kunin. Ooh. The uh, the old house in Kunin is much spoken of even to this day. Ooh. It's dark legend stretching back into the mists of time. Some say is a ghost living there. Others say a devil. But rumors go back further into the darkness of elder years to the old gods of Ireland and the dark rites that were celebrated in their name. The House of Cunin first entered in modern storybook of haunted houses back in the 1910s when a family going by the name of Murphy oh, shocker. <laughs> lived there. <laughs> Mrs. Murphy's husband died in a freak accident and it was soon after that the trouble began. It started out with knocking at the front door, but when it answered, nobody was there. Then they heard heavy footsteps pacing the hayloft. 
that had only one way in, but no one could be found there above. Now, it's easy in these circumstances to suspect your own wits had deserted you, so Mrs. Murphy got the neighbors to have a listen. And sure enough, they also heard the windows being rattled and the doors being banged, as though something was demanding entrance into their house. Then things took a turn for the worse. If that's not bad enough, <laughs> plates started flying off the table and beds would lift and fall by themselves. Whatever wanted to get in was in the house at this time. In desperation, Mrs. Murphy turned to the church for help. And Father Coyle from McGuire's Bridge came to visit their house. He stood there with his mouth hanging open alongside Member of Parliament Care, Healy, watching his pots, pans, bang themselves together and uncanny shapes flickered across the walls. It was also covered in the newspapers at this time. After this, the priest was granted permission to do not only one, but two exorcisms, one of the very few ever held in Ireland, but to no avail, even though the sheets lifted off the bed and loud groans and moans echoed around the place. Rumors started to spread then that perhaps the Murphy family were authors of their own misfortunes, that they had trafficked in the black arts Ooh. and their son had found a fell book in the dark in moldy woods and used it to summon demons for his own benefit. Which Why else would you summon demons? Yeah, well, to throw on someone else. <laughs> well, that, as you can imagine, was the end of the road for the Murphys, and they packed their bags and they set off for America, just as many Irish did at that time. It might have been the end of the road as far as Cunin went, but this wasn't the end of their troubles, for the phantasm followed them across the ocean. Oh, that sucks. Oh, yeah. Was this Titanic time? <laughs> Documents of the voyage made clear note of the fact that there was often loud banging and moaning coming from the Murphy's cabin, and it got so bad that the captain himself had to have a word with them. Although it didn't help much, the rapping and banging kept the other passengers awake, and some say one young lad was so sleepy after the voyage that he was run down in the streets of New York after they arrived. After they reached dry land and the supernatural activities continued for some time, gradually abating until at least they were left in peace, although their daughter was so traumatized that she spent the rest of her life in a mental asylum. Wow. Cunin House has since attracted many visitors and curious sightseers, but my advice is to stay well clear of it. Oh, that's no fun. Eerie flickering witch lights are said to move inside and out of the house. The forest about grows in an unnatural way. Back in the 1960s, a troop of fine strapping young men and a passing show band were sent running from the premises as fast as their legs could carry them. Hmm. And they won't speak about what happened earlier that day. There's talk of difficulty breathing and inexplicable accidents happening as well, as well as sightings of old men and women who vanish when you turn your back. Walk the length and the breadth of Ireland, but stay away and don't spend a night in the Conin house. Mm. Spooky. That one is spooky. That's a spooky one. Um, so I do want to take a mention or take a minute and mention the Will of the Wisp. Which is kind of a, it's a natural phenomena that occurs. Um, it's like a, a, what do they call that? Um, when you have glowing, like glowing things, bioluminescence. It's like a bioluminescent plant. So it could be that. Maybe so. All right. A couple more. Um, we are going to talk about the Headless Horseman. Not the one that you guys know, but a different one. The Headless Horseman is a very ancient tale of Ireland, stretching back to the days before Christ came with St. Patrick, when a dark king used to sacrifice people to old black one-eye, Crom Cuick, by decapitation. Lopped off his head. Yep. That very same Crom Dove, the worm god, who consumed the Druid Prince Cesard in green bubbling acid at the Battle of Moitura after his collector of souls was struck down by... Nuada with his golden sword. I don't know any of that story, so you guys are gonna, you're on your own for that one. When you make a bargain with the elder powers, you keep it one way or another. And still they say his servants ride the highways and byways of Ireland, collecting their due wherever it may lie. As headless horsemen they ride, 
bearing a whip made of human bones or atop a horse and six with funerary light blazing in skulls set about it and green sparks flying from their iron shod hooves. The head, which looks and smells like old rotten cheese, can be <laughs> held aloft, allowing the Dullahan or headless horseman to see a great distance even on moonless nights or in the darkest of chambers. And when he finds the one he seeks, he speaks their name and they drop dead to be carried away to whatever fate awaits them. No road is barred to the Dullahan. All gates and locks fall open at his approach. He can't be outrun or evaded. The only thing that will slow him down is an object of purest gold, for he cannot pass even a pin's worth of the stuff. Should you chance to see a Dullahan, avert your eyes quickly, for they don't like people watching them work. Mm -mm. A douse of blood may be your reward for staring at them, often marking you out to be the next in line for the chop, or a flick of their dread whip may cost you an eye ripped from your head. The last and perhaps most recent of many legends of the Dullahan was that of Thomas Roper of Roper's Rest off Black Pitts Road in Dublin, who became the Viscount of Baltinglass. It's not known what he did to draw the attention of the Dullahan, but rumors persist of a gruesome incident which killed a member of his family and they were left to rot for some time without a proper burial. So should you hear the thunder of hooves behind you and the snap of a whip some foul night, close your eyes and pray that you have gold to hand for it might well be the headless horseman looking for recruits. Ooh, now that's a good scary story. That is a good scary story. Is there story. a purpose to that one? I don't know, but I want to find out more about this, uh, like, what is it? The worm god and the golden sword and green bubbling acid. I'm going to dig more into that one. That sounds more interesting to me than the headless horseman. All right. So we got one more, uh, one more ghost story from Ireland for you tonight. This is the story of the woman in white, Pat Gill of County Kildare was driving towards Dublin with a load of country produce. He had made a comfortable seat for himself on the car or his wagon, and he had plenty of hay about him and under him. He was pleasantly employed, thinking of nothing in particular, dozing and giving an eye to the proceedings of his beast. He was between the mill of Baltracy and the crossroads of Borheen when he was startled by the appearance of a woman, dressed in a long white clothes, crossing the fence, and advancing into the road. She came up to the horse and walked on with him close by his neck. The driver chucked the beast head to the opposite side for fear he should tread on her feet or her long robes. But she still kept as close to him as before, and sometimes he thought he could see the lower part of the horse's foreleg through her dress. The matter had now become very, very mm. serious. He could not keep his eyes off the apparition, and he felt as if the whole frame covered with a cold perspiration. He became bewildered and could not determine either ongoing or stopping, so the horse, finding matters left to himself, jogged on, apparently unconscious of his fellow wayfarer. The center of the crossroads of Borheen is or was occupied by a patch of green turf and when they came to its edge, the white figure stood still, while a portion of the shaft of the car on that side seemed to pass through her. Gill observed this, drawing the beast at once to the other side, crying in a voice made tremulous by terror. By your leave, ma'am, on went horse and car, the edges of the load preventing him from seeing the white form. Having advanced two or three yards, he looked back, fearing to see a mangled body on the road behind him, but instead he saw the white apparition standing in the center of the plot of the grass, her hands seeming to shade her eyes as she looked earnestly after him. Terrified as he was, he never turned his gaze till a bend in the road ahead of him was in full view. All right, so first of all, it's interesting to me that there are the like the hitchhiker stories the ghostly hitchhiker stories which is a we have very, a lot of these in america too yeah it's a very familiar trope in the ghost story um you know a, a lot of the times it is someone who it's a young girl who has died coming home from a dance and she gets a ride home to her house and then she leaves a scarf or something and then you find out that she's dead yeah, um, and the guy goes back yeah, and yeah, says, yeah. oh, no. He goes to town and he finds out, yeah, oh, no. Yeah. Oh, no she, she was died. killed 10 years ago. Yeah. yeah, 
So it's it's interesting to me that we, you know, this um, this ghostly hitchhiker thing has been around for a while, but from a scientific standpoint, horses spook easily, and horses would certainly spook at a spook, and yet the horse continued on calmly. So Maybe I this think, horse didn't see the spook. I think uh, you said early on in the story that the gentleman was drowsing off and on, I believe it was all a dream. Maybe so. And maybe it really happened. Hmm. Don't know. That's what makes it a good ghost story. Absolutely. All right. So that's it for our Irish ghost stories. I hope you enjoyed all of them as much as we enjoyed telling them to you. We hope you had fun. Hope you have a safe and fun St. Patrick's Day. Remember, Don't drink and drive. Yes. Remember. Uber. To celebrate at home, keep your six feet, wear your mask as much as you can. We're not out of the woods yet, so we don't want to see some COVID spikes, especially if you're in Ohio. I swear to goodness, if you are one of the people that makes a COVID spike, that is, you know, we're our numbers are coming down. And if you guys aren't smart enough to, when we get to, to keep 50 your wits cases about you, per 100,000, we can take our mask off, if, says the governor. If we have an outbreak in Ohio and it's because of people drinking on St. Patrick's Day, I'm going to riot. So y'all be responsible out there. We're like, we're almost to the end of this. <sighs> Just hang on yes. for maybe a couple weeks, maybe a couple, you know, a month or two till we can get this over. We can get the country back to where it's supposed to be. And we can look behind this and do after action reviews and say, <laughs> well, this is what we should have done. And this is what we should have done. And he didn't do this right. And she didn't do that right. All right. So here's what I'm going to tell you. Instead of going out and celebrating St. Patrick's Day in groups, if you want to celebrate a, I, I suppose, an ethnic holiday, drink responsibly at home so that by Cinco de Mayo, we can all go out and have a party. Oh, I think Without the people. Are, I think the people are saying that they can because a lot of the places are opening up for this, and the the establishments are taking precautions, mm-hmm. distancing and stuff like that, so people can get back to some semblance of normalcy. It's not going to be like years past, but it's slowly starting to open. Just be careful, people. And PSA on top of that, if your bartenders or wait staff. Um, ask you to put your mask on or follow regulations or whatever, don't give them a hard time. Uh, Oh, no, sit there and yell and scream (laughs) at them and then get arrested and thrown in jail. I know. So we can read about you in the newspaper the next day. Don't give them a hard time. They're just trying to do their job so that we can all get back to normal life. Don't let the alcohol impair your judgment Mm. and just be nice. Like like the guys in the... uh Renting the room, yes. The three tradesmen, yes. Don't let the don't let the Jameson and Guinness be a little bit too much for you. All right. So this was a fun episode to yeah, do. Yeah, I liked yeah, this one. It, it was different. It was fun. Not our typical well, hour of your life, it's but not, sometimes. It's not but it was it was October, fun yeah. though. It was absolutely. Fun. Yeah. Okay. So Kim, yes. How do people listen to us? Well, I would or write us. <laughs> was gonna assume i was gonna say i assume they're already listening to us if you're hearing this but if If you want to share it yes you can tell everybody we're on all of the things we're on iHeartRadio. we're on uh spotify we're not on spotify Spotify? we're on spotify um we're on apple we're on alexa we're on all the things google um so you can listen to us wherever podcasts are found and i just found out this week on your android device if you say Whatever the keyword is, Bixby, you can listen to us on your Android. There you go. Simply by saying that. Yep. Um, if you want to find us on the socials, you can find us on Facebook. Um, just look for An Hour of Your Life on Instagram, An Hour of Your Life. On Twitter, if you want to look for us at A Lost Hour um, is our Twitter uh, username. And if you want to write to us, we love getting emails. It's A Lost Hour at gmail.com. All right. I think that's going to pretty much wrap it up for this week. That's it. I had fun with this episode. I love this All one. All right. Anyway, I'll try to get this right. <laughs> I don't know why it's such a tongue twister, but from our studios, do you want to say anything about our covered table? I, okay. I, no, we'll just put it on Facebook. No, no, no. So Steve got us a table and he customized it. So we have this fancy podcast table that is covered in cowhide. And I love it. 
Um, and it perfectly matches the vibe, I and guess, of our studio. all the cables and wires go it's, down a little rabbit hole. It's very nice. You did a, you did a great everything's job. everything's like you did a wonderful fixed up job. underneath, not dangling. I Thank you. It's lovely. All right. And so. I can pet it as, yes. we're, <laughs> as we're recording. All right. So from our studios in Sugar Tree, ah, <laughs> from our studios <laughs> in Sugar Creek Township. Thanks for spending an hour of your life with us. Sources this week include emeraldisle.ie and irishtimes.com, as well as several visits to Google Translate because I don't speak Gaelic.